that we read here in Psalm 107, we are reading about how the Lord is our Redeemer. And he is, the, the psalmist is writing in four different ways how God redeemed his people. The word Redeemer literally means the one who buys back. It's uh, someone who, who redeems, takes what is broken, what is abused, what is mistreated, and redeems it, buys it back, um, restores its value. You might uh, go online and, and watch videos of, of, um, uh, of artists and things reupholstering a, a piece of uh, furniture or, um, you know, re restaining a uh, banister that was all destroyed or t tattered and worn and they restore it to a place where it looks brand new. You know, uh, uh, someone might, you might watch um, an, an, a mechanic restore a vehicle. You know, they take a really old car and they find the parts and they, they get the paint and they, they restore the car back to its original uh, make and model, you know, a few, few dozen years ago. And, and whatever the cases they're doing is they're redeeming something that was broken, that was old, that was used and abused and, and no longer working, but now they're bringing it back to a place where it can function again. That is redemption. And so when the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, he's identifying, he's calling the people of God, the children of Israel, to remember what God has done for them and to announce it, to proclaim it, to talk about it. And in Psalm chapter 107, verse 10, he begins the second movement of his song of redemption. And he, he begins it like this. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. He talks about this, this group of people who were once in darkness. They were in a shadow of death, if you will. The shadow of death loomed over them. And, and it's poetry, right? So it's, it's imagery, helping your mind to see something in a, uh, an artistic way. Not a, not a reality, perhaps, but a, an artistic expression of what they are going through. Uh, they are prisoners afflicted in irons. And, and for some, this was a reality, but for most, this was a, a, a picture of the kind of struggle that they were going through in life. The, in, in the sense of reality, this psalm really has uh, two ways of looking at it, the natural way and then the spiritual way. In the natural way, the psalmist is reminding the children of Israel of the time in which that they were in darkness, that they had rebelled against God, rebelled against his word. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so as a result of that, they became captives in a foreign land. See, God had established the children of Israel with three great kings, Saul, who 
who really stood up against the Philistines and really began to unite the nation under one king. And then David came along. You might have heard of David and Goliath. David defeating the giant and, and ultimately becoming the next king to succeed Saul. And he led the kingdom into its glory years, really establishing the borders of Israel and, and uh, bringing wealth and strength and military might into the nation. And then David's son Solomon arose and God gifted Solomon with great wisdom so that the kings of many nations would come and sit at the feet of Solomon and bring him wealth and, and riches and, and all kinds of uh, uh, benefits to his kingdom in exchange for his counsel because he was so wise. And these great years of Israel, these were the golden years of Israel, but they did not last because with all of this wealth and with all of this affluence and with all of this wisdom, they began to neglect their relationship with God. It began in small ways, as it usually does. It began in, in little things, you know, a little compromise here and a little compromise there and a letting go of a, of a standard or a letting go of a, a once-held strong belief here and then a little letting go of it there until eventually the nation had become just like the other nations of the world, enslaving people, mistreating the orphans and the widows, taking advantage of the poor and the needy, not ministering to the needs of the brokenhearted or those who were captives themselves. But they became like the other aggressive and enslaving nations that they were surrounded by. And so God removed his hand of blessing from their life. I think we've covered this in other messages, how God's judgment against our sin is not often a lightning bolt or a, a grand cataclysmic event in your life. And that is the deception. I think the devil would like you to believe that God is standing there with a hammer ready to crack you on the head when you make a mistake. The devil would love you to believe that because that's a lie. That's not the truth. And, and the, the facts are when, when you do something wrong and you don't feel that rap of the hammer of God on your life, you don't feel that immediate punishment, you might feel like, well, I got away with it this time. I got away with it this time. But, but the truth is the judgment of God on our sin is not an immediate consequence, but simply the removal of his hand of blessing from our life, a removal of the hand of protection. And God basically allows us to become and to do exactly what we want to be. Consider someone who lies or who, who gossips. God doesn't immediately... Now, he might convict, he might send someone your way to, to confront you about it and lovingly help you right the wrong that you've been doing, but ultimately you can continue to lie. And the, the fact is, you know, the, the, the worst part about a lie is not that you get caught, but that you get away with it. The worst part about cheating is not that you get caught, but that you get away with it. Why? Because, well, the next time there's an opportunity to do the same thing, you're most likely to choose the lie or the cheat than to choose honesty or hard work because you got away with it before, so it stands to reason you might get away with it again. And who doesn't like doing things the easier way? That is the judgment of God on our sin. He allows us to become what we desire in our hearts to be. But he doesn't do it. Passively, God allows us to be confronted like he did with his people. God sent them messengers. He sent them counselors. 
the Bible says they not only rebelled against his written word, but they spurned the counsel of the Most High. Jeremiah rose up as a prophet of God, a preacher in his day, who stood in the city squares and in the the king's palace and to the king's face told him that if he didn't change his ways, God was going to allow the Babylonians to come and wipe out the nation. Ezekiel stood up in much the same way. If you want to read a crazy book of the Bible, read the book of Ezekiel. You read it in the New Living Translation because King James kind of will mess you up, but read it in the New Living, read it from cover to cover, and you will close that book and go, I didn't even know the Bible had things like that in it. That is absolutely bonkers. Okay? And I won't spoil it for you. I'm giving you a little teaser. I'm wetting your appetite to read the Bible. It's, there's some crazy stuff in Ezekiel. He has crazy visions. He preaches in, he, I mean, you talk about sermon illustrations. Ezekiel is the king of crazy sermon illustrations. Crazy sermon illustrations. Read it for yourself. But he, he does it to tell the nation, if you don't change your ways, God is going to turn you over to your enemies. He's going to allow you to be enslaved to teach you to fear him. Zephaniah stood up, did much of the same. Obadiah, another prophet of God, stood, and after time after time, message after message, writing after writing, confrontation after confrontation, the people stiffened their necks and stopped up their ears. And so the Lord ultimately moved his hand of protection from them. There is a passage, I think, in Chronicles that talks about the departing glory of God. We've talked before about the glory of God, how it was like a cloud and a fire that hovered over the temple. A visible demonstration of the presence of God. And the Bible says that the glory cloud lifted from off the mercy seat and hovered over top of the temple. That should have been a sign. That should have been like a, whoa, God's glory cloud isn't in its normal place. Normally it's inside the temple hovering over the mercy seat. It's not where it's supposed to be. God, instead of being in the temple, he's above the temple. That's strange. Maybe we should ask him what's going on. But they didn't. And so uh, a, a little bit of time passes, and God waits to see, will my people inquire of me and find out where did my presence go? And so God moves his glory cloud from over top of the temple to just outside the city. That should have been a major red flag. Where is God going? This is his house. We are his people. He he, he promised to be here and never depart. Where is God going? But nobody stopped to ask. And finally, the last movement God does is he sits over top of the hill overlooking Jerusalem and waits. And still, nobody asks, where is God going? going. This is just to teach you and and bring you up to speed with the, the spiritual condition of the heart of the people of God. They couldn't even recognize when God's presence lifted and moved to a different location. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18, the path of the just is as the shining light. The path of those who are right with God The path of those who are just in their ways is like a shining light that shineth more and more until the perfect day. 
In other words, it doesn't remain in a single uh, uh, brilliance, but it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. But the way of the wicked, he says in, in Proverbs 19, 4 verse 19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They do not know at what they stumble. See, the problem with being in darkness the problem with being away from God is you can't even really recognize when the presence of God leaves your life. But God did. God left because the people refused to repent. He sent messengers, and instead of accepting Jeremiah, they put him in prison, put him in jail. They enslaved these prophets and attacked them personally, accused them, and did horrible things to them. Rejecting the message that they gave. So the Bible says that God allowed the people to be turned over to the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in and enslaved many of the people, took them as captives in the land. You might have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You might have heard of that Bible story. You might have heard of Daniel interpreting the dream to the king of Babylon. And all of that happened because the king came and took these men from Israel and made them his servants in his own kingdom. So Psalms is recollecting. He's, the psalmist is trying to recall the emotion and recall the memory of these things to the people. And he says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Eventually, in the midst of their problems, they turned back to God and cried to him in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness. Notice the language. We just talked about those who are not right with God are in darkness. Those who are right with God are walking in the path of light. And so the Bible says here that he brings them out of darkness. When they cried to the Lord, he brought them out of the darkness of sin that they were in and into the light and the shadow of death that loomed over them. I'm here to let you know that when you're living in sin, you're living in the shadow of death. The Bible makes it clear that to serve sin is ultimately to bring you to an unexpected or an uncertain end. Just trace the line of any particular sin that you might want to think of. Lying, cheating, stealing, murder, adultery, all of them end in death of some kind. Lying ends in the death of close relationships. You cannot have an intimate and close relationship with someone who is a chronic liar. You cannot trust someone who cheats, and so it brings death to a relationship. You cannot trust someone who is prone to outbursts of anger, uncontrolled, and tends to a murderous rage. That will bring to not only physical death, but the death of a relationship. Do you see what I'm, where I'm going with this? Sin brings about it a shadow of death. Adultery brings the death of a marriage or the death of your innocence, the death of perhaps a good health uh, in your life because to, as, as the, the Bible talks about in Proverbs, for the man who, who frequents the house of the, 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 the loose woman is the man who's going to bring about pain into his own body. And you might understand what I mean medically. That kind of lifestyle will bring death to your natural body. 
Now, I'm not here to shame or condemn anybody that may be struggling or, or dealing with any one of these sins or other kinds of sin because the, the fact is everybody has some mark of sin in their life. Nobody's escaped. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's clean. Nobody's righteous. The Bible makes that very clear. And, and so God, God is looking down from, from his place, talking to his people, saying, you are in darkness, but if you will turn to me, then I will deliver you. I will bring you out of the shadow of death, and I will burst your bonds apart, and let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. So God is reminding him, his people, because, and just going back to that story of the captives in Babylon, they were there for someone like 70 years in captivity. And they began to turn back to God and repent. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, Ezekiel began to repent and turn back to God. And God began to give them favor. Eventually the king of that, that nation paid their way to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple with supplies that the Assyrians and the, the Medes and the Persians gave them, who were now the reigning kings at that time. God turned their captivity around. What once enslaved them was now helping them get back to where they needed to be. And this was the miracle. This is why the psalmist was saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Remember how you fell into sin and how you were enslaved by this Babylonian nation. And then you repented. You turned back to God. You asked him to forgive you. Not only did he forgive you, but he sent you back to Jerusalem, helped you rebuild the walls. You rebuilt the temple. God reestablished you. He redeemed you. He bought you back. But the story doesn't end there. I mean, that's... That's a nice message in and of itself. That has a nice ring to it for us. But how does that apply to me today in 2022? I'm not Jewish, and I'm not Babylonian. I have no ties to these people or what they went through. No physical, no, no members of my family were, were enslaved by the Babylonians, and so I have no emotional connection to this. How does this work for me here today in Ajax, Ontario, Canada, uh, on February the 27th at, at, at 11.54 a.m. How does that work for me here and now? And this is the second half of the psalm. Psalm, I told you how it begins in the natural. It begins in the, the what happened, the historical event that was surrounding the psalm. But there is a spiritual component to this psalm that applies to you today. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 42. He begins to talk. God begins to tell Isaiah what I'm going to do in the future. He said, behold my servant. God speaks to Isaiah. He says, I want you to look, Isaiah. Look down the corridors of time. I'm going to give you a sneak preview of what my servant is going to do. My servant who I uphold, mine elect, whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit on him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And verse 7, he continues on what the Messiah, what the servant, uh, what Jesus was going to do in his ministry. He said, he is going to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house 
I am the Lord, and that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God was saying, my servant, by the way, which is me, I am going to be the servant that is going to come in human form because God said, I'm not going to give my glory to another. I'm not going to split up my praise to somebody else, but I myself am going to come, and I'm going to come as a man, as Messiah, as the the human uh, 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 visible image uh, of the invisible God, and I am going to open the eyes of the blind, and I'm going to bring out the prisoner, and I'm going to deliver those who sit in darkness. Uh, I I hope you you can catch the the poetic language that he's saying. He's talking about the nature of sin uh, and the effect that it has on humanity. See, what sin does is it blinds you. It makes you calloused uh, and and kind of unperceptive to what God is really doing. Uh, it, It enslaves you and makes you a prisoner. It causes you to sit in darkness and confusion and depression and in the shadow of death. And God said, I'm about to deliver my people, the human race, from their sin condition. I'm going to do it. And so when Jesus stepped on the scene, it's no wonder that in his first message in the synagogue, Luke chapter 4, verse 17, the, the, the Bible says that Jesus stood, he rolled out the scroll of Isaiah, and he began to preach this message from the book of Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember what God said to Isaiah. He said, I'm going to put my spirit on him. Jesus stands in the synagogue and says, guess what, folks? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and he has recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus added a little tag to the end of his message. He said, today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right before your very eyes, God has put his spirit on this human vessel. And he's going to use this human vessel to be his messenger, his emissary, to set free those who are captives, to open the eyes of the blind and proclaim liberty to the poor. I always smirk, well, I shouldn't say smirk, but I... I I take note of people when they say things like, oh, they're so anointed. In North America, often when when you hear someone say that in the church, that, that, that usually means that they can sing really well, they can preach really good, or they can do something publicly that's pretty amazing. And that moves you and you go, ooh, that's anointed. But notice Jesus' arena of anointing is not a pulpit. Jesus' arena of, 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 of anointing is not how well he sings or ministers publicly, but Jesus' arena of anointing is ministering to those who are poor, to those who are blind, to those who are outcasts, to those who are prisoners, 
to those who are captives, uh, probably the outcasts, uh, probably the ones you didn't really want to talk to anyway, probably the ones that would cry a little bit too much for your comfortable level, probably those who would probably not, not smell very nice or look very put together. They might use a little bit of coarse language or, or have a, a tone about them. They might have an attitude problem. But Jesus said, my ministry, my anointing consists of how I minister to those people, how I touch those lives uh, because those are the lives uh, that are in need of my touch. Uh, he said in another passage, he said, I didn't come to heal those who are well, but I came to heal those who would admit that they have a sickness. Uh, I didn't come to set free those who think they're already free. I came to set free those who realize they're shackled by heavy addictions, uh, heavy chains, uh, heavy burdens, and they can't get free of it. And they need somebody with the key to step on the scene and open the door and loose the chain and set them free and deliver them from the thing that they are bound by. See, what we, we need to look at when we see Psalm 107 is we need to see ourselves behind the cell bars of that prison. We need to look in the, to that psalm and see ourselves groping about in the darkness of our own decisions and, and choices groping about in the, the choices that we've made to lie, to cheat, steal, to cheat, to have pride and arrogance, to maybe partake in sexual sin or addiction or give in to jealousy or unforgiveness, hold on to bitterness or resentment toward someone or something, uh, to quarrel needlessly or to gossip, to slander, to have a quick temper, any kind of sin that you want to pull out of the Word of God uh, and lay there. You, you could, And I'm not here to put anybody on blast here this morning, but can we all just admit that we all have cracks in our pot? You may not be a crackpot, but you probably have a few cracks in your pot, right? Like nobody here is perfect. Nobody here has got it all together. Somewhere along the line, we've messed up. Somewhere along the line, we made a bad choice. Somewhere along the line, we made a decision to do something, and the Bible calls it a sin. Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And You know, no one is exempt. We, you know, we all want to post on Instagram and social media and put all the filters on. I love these posts that come up of people putting the filter on and say, how do I look? And then they take the filter off, and you're like, whoa, that camera filter had powerful ability to change your appearance. Because we want everybody to see what the filter made us look like. We want everyone to see what the happy times and the, the good moments are. But nobody, nobody takes a picture of themselves right after they have a really good cry and their eyes are all puffy and red and swollen. Nobody takes a picture of themselves after they gave in to some addiction or, or told a lie and feel the, the weight of shame and guilt hanging on their shoulders. Why don't we do that? Because we, we would rather hide those parts and show the good parts. That's just human nature. But if you're going to get help from the master, if you're going to get help from the redeemer or the deliverer, you've got to be honest about your situation. See, it wasn't until the children of Israel began to repent for their sins that God reversed their captivity. 
It wasn't until they began to acknowledge, Lord, we abandoned your ways uh, and we forsook your word. We stopped reading the Bible, God, so we didn't even know that we were making so many errors and so many mistakes and so many sins. God, we, we fell away from making church a priority, making synagogue a priority and reading the word of God. We, we didn't even listen to the preachers when they came around to point out that we'd made some mistakes and needed to make a change. God, we forsook your ways and we forsook. It wasn't until they acknowledged their sin and began to repent that God was able to turn their captivity around and redeem them. I want to bring you a message of hope this morning. 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But verse 9 tells you that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from unrighteousness. See, the key to redemption is confession. Not confession to a priest or to a pastor, but confession to Jesus, who is the high priest of your soul. He's the high priest of the kingdom of God. It's going to him and saying, Jesus, uh, I did make a mistake. Uh, I did commit a sin here, and I need help. Uh, it's going to the church and calling up a friend and saying, will you pray with me? I need some help to get this right. Uh, I need some help to get this straight in my life. I need to be delivered. It's when you can come and humble yourself before the Lord and repent of your sin and turn back to Him that He can reverse the captivity that you're in. He can take the situation, the struggle, the, the, the propensity to stay in the same cycle of sin over and over and over and God can help you break the cycle. The Lord told Paul that he was sending him to the Gentiles to preach to them so that he could open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they would receive forgiveness. I'm here to tell you that there is forgiveness for your sin. There is no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, there is hope this morning. There is freedom in the presence of the Lord. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. There is forgiveness in the presence. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years and you keep making similar mistakes over and over again. There is freedom. There is deliverance. There is renewed forgiveness for you this morning. There is renewed hope for you today. God can forgive you and deliver you from the chains that you find yourself bound by. The message of hope comes on the day of Pentecost. When Peter preached a similar message to the Jews, and I close with this this morning, he said to them, all these things that I basically told you, essentially there's sin in your life, and Jesus is the answer. And they said unto him, men and brethren, what shall we do? What is the first step of our redemptive process? Peter said unto them, the first step is to repent. Repent just means to turn around. You don't really have to go anywhere. You just make a, a motion like this. A repentance for you can start right here in this service. And you hear a pastor preaching something, and hopefully the Holy Ghost has been talking to your heart about something in your life, an area perhaps that needs some adjustment, some turning around. And all you have to do in your heart is go, okay, God, I've turned to you. I'm, I'm open to what you have to say. Forgive me.
for the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for the, the errors of my ways. And then Peter said the next step is to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. See, when you're baptized, the Bible says that your sins are now washed away. When you repent, you turn to God and God hears, he acknowledges you, he forgives you. But then when you're baptized, that, that, that act of obedience to go in the waters of baptism, be submerged, immersed in water in Jesus' name, brings about a forgiveness and a rinsing and a washing of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, God doesn't leave you powerless. He now gives you power to confront the darkness, a light in your heart to shine the way. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is given unto us to be our teacher, to guide us into all truth. So that in that day, you'll hear the Lord say, no, don't go that way, go this way instead. You, 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 you snap to, you know, it happened to me this week. I was stressed and I snapped at my kids. I said I was pretty harsh with them. And I felt conviction immediately and I came back to say, you know what, Daddy was a little too harsh. I'm sorry. I should have said it like this. What was that? That was the Holy Ghost. That wasn't me. That was, the hardest thing for me to do was to turn around and, and apologize to my kids for snapping at them too hard or being a little too harsh about something else. But if the Holy Ghost helps you to turn around. The Holy Ghost helps you to soften the tone. The Holy Ghost will help you to, to make it right. The Holy Ghost will, when you want to give in to that, that lie or that cheating or that, that, that addiction, the Holy Ghost is that thing on your shoulder that taps you and says, wait, don't go that way. Go this way instead. And gives you the peace to know that it's not a sin to be tempted. But you have the power to look for a way of escape out of that temptation. It's what God wants to do to redeem and buy back what has been taken in your life. Can we stand this morning? I don't know where you're at this morning. You may, may have already repented today and you say, Pastor, this is a great message and Thank you, this will help me this week. I, I've already made my heart right with God. Then, then your, your objective in this service is to pray for those who are perhaps at that point of decision. Pray for those who this morning, this, this word is falling on fresh ears. And there's a lot of things that have cropped up in their heart, in their mind. Hey, this, this, you know, this, i got to get this right with God. Please come. Come to that altar of repentance. Don't ignore the voice of the Lord. Don't ignore the moving of His Spirit. He's not here to condemn you or put you on blast because the Bible says that all you have to do is confess your sin. Tell Him that you agree, that you hear what He's saying. Confess your sin and He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. See, we